Welcome to Only Real Fans. I'm your host, Brian Riley, along with Dylan Bentlage, and today we're joined with our good friend, Luis Nario Malberg, to discuss two films that, well, take a lot of patience to get through. My Dinner with Andre and The Limits of Control. So let's try to retain some interest in this podcast, unlike these fucking movies. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, look, I picked these movies because they're kind of slogs to get through a little bit. I think dinner with, An- my, dinner with my dinner with Andre is, I think, far more rewarding than uh, I mean, look, I think I've known I know some people who like limits with control and I, I can see some value in it. I, I understand you guys both hated it. I, I, I get what he was trying to do with it. And I, I like appreciated it. It just I didn't think it was executed well. Okay, bro, I don't even know what the fuck he was trying to do with it. Well, it gets it's kind of it's kind of outlined in the beginning when he's in the airport meeting with that man and the other man, and he's just like he gives him the intel on the guy he's trying to kill, and he's like, use your imagination and try and find him. So like, therefore, we have to use our imagination to figure out like what was his imagination in trying to find out where this guy was that he's trying to kill. It's basically like you're kind of controlling the course of events as is he in some weird ass way. At least that's how I interpret it. That's cool. Okay. That's a cool way to interpret it. I think I honestly didn't even give any of that, any of that a thought. The only thing, (laughs) the only thing I enjoyed about the whole movie was the matches because I thought it was aesthetically nice. But like the rest of the time, I was debating if Tilda Swinton's outfit was cool or extremely stupid. (laughs) I couldn't really decide if I enjoyed what she was wearing or if I thought it was dumb. I don't know what happened to her when she goes into the car and. Uh, Jim Jarmusch has this weird thing where like a lot of his movies are having to do with like media consumption, like that, like zombie movie, like we're all just zombies into the, you know, like in the consumer market. Well, I mean, and I'm like, which, which other ones are you going for there? I'm going for the, um, the zombie one he did with, uh, the dead Bill don't Murray. die. Yeah. The dead don't die. That fucking thing was all about media yeah. consumption. I mean, so and funnily it, enough, I'd say. Limits of Control and The Dead Don't Die are probably two of his less rated movies. Um, I mean, so I'm just going to take a second before we start shitting on Limits of Control <laughs> to advocate for Jim Jarmusch. I, I like a lot of his movies. Uh, Coffee and Cigarettes. I like Strangers in Paradise. There, there's a lot of good movies by him. Patterson is a fantastic movie, I think. So Patterson, yeah. I like. So I, Patterson, I, Patterson, Patterson, I did like pretty good things. Yeah, and I, so this is the only know, one I've seen by him. A, this is an ambitious director, I'd say. And, you know, maybe Limits of Control didn't land quite as well. as Maybe it's one of his more ambitious and that's it didn't get didn't get all the way there. It comes off kind of fucking pretentious. I like the music. That was the problem. The music was cool. I thought it was visually pleasing. I thought it was yeah, very visually, visually pleasing. pleasing, too. Very visually pleasing. It's, you know, I mean, in a sense, it is very much it's art house film, isn't it? You know, it is not trying to be terribly user friendly or or made for mass consumption. I think I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt here. I'm trying to play the devil's advocate if I can, but you always do. You're the devil's advocate on this. Show, I am. Always. I am the advocate but of the devil. He I'm signed to a the, lifelong contract. The problem I have with that movie, what annoys me about it is like, it just reminds me of abstract or like modern art where there's just really 
someone trying to be artsy for artsy's sake. And then at that point, like I can't really get behind it because it could just be shit, but someone deems it good. So you need to watch it. You know, like we had this conversation. Well, we've had it outside the podcast, but you guys had it the last time when we were talking about fell through the cracks. And I kind of get the same feeling sometimes with Paul Thomas Anderson films, like artsy for artsy's sake. And like, you have to give it critical acclaim because it's Paul Thomas Anderson and because it's different. But to be honest with you, it's just shit. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, it's just it, shit. Just shit mean to you that it's like, just does not match any kind of conventional definition of what makes for an engaging or good film. Or is it like, it, it's without meaning. It's just not enjoyable. It, and like, I think at the end of the day, arts are meant to be enjoyed, right? Like yeah. if you were to tell me, let's say this, if you were to make like a really, amazing dinner that was extremely complicated to do and like had a bunch of different spices and not everyone can make it. But the majority of people would taste that food and go, this tastes like absolute trash. Would it be good food? Yeah. Well, so, okay. Preface. I don't think we're going to solve the the concept of art in this one podcast. And this is a good start for what I think will lead into a very philosophical conversation with dinner with Andre. Um, I don't know. Uh, you didn't know the it, purpose of this podcast is each episode we're slowly uncovering the purpose bes- bes- uh, behind art and modern art. Yeah, well, that should be the goal. And, and we're slowly becoming uh, and, 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 figure and, out the purpose well, Brian's well, sentence. Isn't, so, in the same way as as whoops, I think critique is really meant to eventually try to approach the concept of what is art. I think. Uh, I feel like art is mainly meant to just con- in a way that I think is mentioned in my dinner with Andre convey something of the author's truth, right? The author's sense of the world. In that sense, it doesn't have to be pleasurable. I don't think, I think, I mean, the guy, Jim Jarmusch is an accomplished enough filmmaker that he can just make this thing. Right. And it's probably very self and it's much more for himself possibly. Um, I, I think in that sense, I mean, food is a weird one, right? Because it's like, you know, what's the point of food if not to be eaten and enjoyed? But I don't know if that extends to art, you know? Sustenance. It's sus- it can just be sustenance. It can just be sustenance. I guess, but this wasn't even sustenance. This didn't even like, like kind of fill me up creatively. But I will, I will, I will concede and say that even in like, um, uh, film analysis classes that we took the conversation was never about whether or not the film was good that's not really what it's like about like artistic film is not about whether it's good or not it's about what you can extrapolate from the artistic choices i just have a hard time sometimes if the movie is not enjoyable on any level and this one was quite unenjoyable that was the problem okay. like there uh, yeah, yeah. It, and I, I'm not saying that I don't like Jim Jarmusch's other stuff. Like some of it's okay, but on on a whole, he's almost trying to annoy the audience. I think rather than entertain them. <laughs> That's a take. That's definitely. I a take. certainly was annoyed at one point. <laughs> <laughs> what point were you annoyed at? When uh, I was like, "When the hell is this gonna end?" <laughs> the Bill Murray I was good enough. I'll you. say that. Bro, I learned that on Netflix, you can speed things up 1.5 times. And I was really hoping this was on Netflix so I could just watch it really fast. <laughs> Where'd well, you watch it? On Amazon. Mm. I, uh, I went on a pirate ship to watch mine. If you know what I mean. <laughs> they honestly should pay you to watch this movie. <laughs> Me? Oh, you mean like Everybody. anyone should just get paid? <laughs> you sign up for like a monthly like 
subscriber list and Jim Jarmusch. Like if you're handpicked the winner, here's five grand. Watch my movie, Limits of Control, and tell me what you think. I mean, I'm curious why you even picked it, Luis, because you even mentioned that you couldn't get through yeah, it. Yeah, the, the first, first time, time. Look, the first time there was perhaps, uh, it was perhaps watched a little too late for me to stay awake. Uh, perhaps there was other things involved, wink, wink. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like it, so I picked it because when I first <laughs> tried to watch it, I actually didn't hate it this time around. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't hate it. Um, uh. I maybe was in the right state of mind, uh, hint, hint, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I'd say I picked it with, I, I'd say I picked it with my dinner with Andre just because they are both two movies that can be hard to watch even in, in at least in one sitting. And they don't, they don't give you a lot of, uh, you know, instant gratification, right? They really, they really don't. Um, what did you guys think of my dinner with Andre? I thought it was a cool movie. Uh, Are we already done with, with limits? Oh, we're going back to it. (laughs) It'll come back. It'll come. I think they play off each other in the sense that my dinner with Andre is a lot about the purpose of art and all that. And then, you know, we can maybe look at limits of control through that lens. See if, if Wallace Shawn would have liked limits control. Yeah. I, I view my dinner with Andre as like the OG podcast. It's just two guys chatting. You know, having some dinner, talking about life. I'm sure they did. If, you know, if they were with Joe Rogan, they would have done some DMT and probably <laughs> just gone off the wagon. Oh, dude, the 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 act, the 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 not bald fella, the not Wallace Shawn fella. Well, Andre, I Andre. guess it's not hard. It's not hard to remember their <laughs> names. I forgot that that was Andre. I was just like, oh, it's just dinner with Andre. I don't know which one's Andre. <laughs> well, Andre, I think, would love some DMT. Yes, he I, would absolutely. I, I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned in one of his many. I'm surprised um, he's not a drug guy. Uh, I mean, he must be. Yeah, I was just waiting for that to be like, you know, I was when I was out in New Delhi with, you know, with Pam and Gregory, you know, Pam and Gregory from 34th. Uh, we met up with a shaman who gave us some crazy peyote mixed in with um, some interesting curries, and we just saw everything. We I'm got naked and like we screamed into the night. Yeah, no. Okay, well, yeah. wait. Well, that did happen, didn't well, it? No, wasn't, I mean, yes. The, there was many times of doing random things in the night, and you know, I don't think there was ever a primal, like a pure primal scream in there in his big story. There was a burial. There, 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 was, there was a burial. There was a burial. Like nudity there was, was involved in one story. There was many, and I think there was much nudity was there really much nudity? i think there's just the one story with nudity actually when they get buried there's something about a japanese monk in like the sahara and then i thought well this guy this guy doesn't know his geography well no he took the monk to the sahara so he first went to japan and then to the sahara i think he met him in tibet and then took him to the sahara yeah this guy's loaded but a japanese a japanese monk in tibet was it was it a, was he a japanese monk necessarily Pretty sure he was a Japanese. Or was he monk, a he Saharan monk who living in Tibet and wanted to go back home to the Sahara? <laughs> I'm gathering that we we weren't enthused by the at least first part, the long story. There's there was a good chunk where like I'd go in and out of paying attention because I was just doing something um, while I was watching it, and there was a lot of times where I was like, "Holy crap! How did we get here?" And like, I guess that's kind of the point is they're just talking about like everything that they possibly can. And that's like doing these deep dives into like different subject matters. And well, Andre is right. Andre is is just just trying to like cut his steak. 
Wallace 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 has the fucking narr- narration and the first thing he says is I like to be a detective and just ask questions and then the whole fucking time he's just asking questions man like this guy uh, Andre just doesn't shut up yeah, yeah. well I mean so it's, I it's very much a, it's, it's, it's very much a two part conversation right Andre you can definitely tune out for most of Andre's big monologue before Wallace Sean ever says anything. Uh, that second one, there's a bit more back and forth. I think that's the actual interesting part. I think the first part is almost everything up until Wallace Shawn starts talking in the conversation between Wallace Shawn musing on being a screen, uh, sorry, a, a playwright and then going to this restaurant and all of the shit Andre does. It, it comes off as very pretentious and like, you know, sort of spoiled to dilettante, doesn't it? You know, Ooh. but the, yeah, the shout out. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, well, I guess uh, yeah. that's kind of the point. Like, once Wallace gets into the conversation and into spending time with Andre, so do you, the viewer. So you're kind of you kind of get put in his shoes because obviously because the first bit is just listening to Andre go on and on and on. You're like, when's it end? And then once once our once our narrator gets a little nugget of interest, you get more interested in what's going on. Yeah. Well, he almost gets offended. Like, that's, like, kind of more interesting part. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you like, spoiled He, he fuck. gets offended. He's kind of like, fuck you. <laughs> like, my life's pretty interesting. You know, I read the paper, and I'm excited about it. My girlfriend makes me breakfast. I'm excited about it. I go to the cigar shop. That's the same as going to the Sahara. And they get, like, he kind of gets a bit offended. Mm-hmm. And I would have, too. Because, honestly, I kind of thought Andre was full of shit. I'm like, fuck you. There's no way you're doing all this I shit. I think Andre is supposed it. to. I think the... I think the writers would say Andre's full of shit. He's full of I shit. I think I think their little debate at the end, I think, settled mostly on Andre is full of shit. In the sense, I think, well, Sean made a better argument for, like, life doesn't have to be this constant transcendent experience. And, like, art isn't dead. We can keep writing plays and films and it'll be still worth something, you know? I think Doesn't Andre the whole time kind of, like, hint towards mental illness, too? Doesn't oh, he he's definitely about, like, he's definitely he's, bipolar. Mm-hmm. That guy, yeah, he's got some problems. I mean, yeah. I don't want to I, I don't want to diagnose and you know offend anyone with bipolar disorder, but like he's he's on a manic trip this whole time. Yeah, you know? yeah, he he makes a lot of comments about his about his well being. He also makes a lot of Nazi comments though, so feel free to oh judge him. Oh my god, like, with the Nazi comments, right? It was way the, too much. I know, it I'm was, glad it, like, you brought partially, this. Up. I was like, what the fuck's going on, dude? Why is for, he keep for our viewers? Up? What are they? So he mentions the Nazis several times. It's very innocuous every time, right? It's it's usually just like it's just in conversation. It's, it's a reference to the worst thing you can imagine, and he uses the Nazis as that example, or concentration camps as that example. As you know, no, but not even he talks about contemplating the like the Nazi architect, and he gives this name that nobody knows, and like unless you're a historian. And that's when I started to get a little bit weird, weirded out because like, if you know any history, like, you know, some famous Nazis, but he mentions like the Nazi architect and like, who the fuck was that? Like you had to specifically look that guy up, bro. Like that's a bit, that's it. You were doing some research. And then he like accepts a flag with a Tibetan swastika and he's like, yeah, don't worry. It's like a Tibetan swastika. It's like got a little like bent end. It's like a double L. It's not the not the Nazi swastika. It has like a little bit of a. Well, so he also starts off. He wants, uh, like, he wants this. You know, he's only going to accept this, do this course with the Polish guy, if he has forty Jewish 
women in with all those other criteria. But no, I mean a lot of stuff. Then there was other things. The little prince is fascistic. Specifically he would, mentions they have to be Jewish. Have to, he specifically he mentions they, they have, have to, be, have to Jewish. be Jewish. And then uh, when he's talking about the little prince, he's like, yeah, it's fascistic. You know, I feel like a like a, a, a you know, in paraphrasing, a strapping SS soldier would love the little prince. And he just yeah, he br- he mentions the Nazis a whole lot. Is it that, was concerning. Like, are we supposed to think he's just like a guy who's infatuated by that whole movement? Or are we trying to, are they trying to no, make us get you, the idea he you, could be a neo-Nazi? No, I think usually he's just mentioning it as an example of the worst thing. There are the ones that Dylan mentioned are the ones where it's a little more suspect, where it's just kind of like, okay, you seem pretty cool. Yeah, he's like, I've been really contemplating that, you know, the Nazi architect, you've heard of him, right? And uh, like Wallace is sitting there like, nope. I have not heard of this guy. Dude, that that reminds me. Uh, I just I just discovered this. It's been it's been news for a, quite a while. But this rapper Gunplay, who's okay, that's a he's okay. Um, he has a swastika tattoo on his back, and oh, he got great. interviewed about why he has that. <laughs> and his reasoning is because it's a symbol to genocide all the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> It's the, oh my God. he's mass murdering the bullshit and all the haters are getting, that's really are going up, to concentration dude. camps. That's what it represents. Like, dude, what are you on? That is honestly like, that's a really weird pull, Bri, but that's almost how Andre made me feel like half the time. Like, what are you on? And what are you talking about? Like the, not the, the, the swastika flag really threw me off. That threw me off so much. <laughs> in it that I couldn't and like everyone's telling him too in the story that he's telling is like everyone's like burn it burn it and he's like I can't get I couldn't take get myself to burn it I had to give it to a friend to burn and you're like oh dude like yeah I don't know I I couldn't the thing was unlikable characters in that one I didn't like Wallace's smug little look and Andre just made me think he was full of shit well you know I think Andre's an interesting character insofar as I've often considered yeah, well, so for one, I think there's a pretty high crossover between artists and people that are mentally ill in some capacity. I think there's a pretty high cross. I mean, you know, disinhibition comes with certain types of mental illness, and that can probably be useful for it. Especially if you're a successful artist, like you get to kind of do whatever you want. You know, like this guy is successful in his thing and he's also rich, apparently. Um, like he can go crazy and do all this crap and will be borderline celebrated for it if not at least allowed to and i think that's i think they're self-aware in that respect i think that you know the the commentary where sean falls sean gets a little pissed at the end it acknowledges that you know you're not supposed to love andre i think while sean wasn't terrible i think the points he makes at the end are pretty good i I was on his side in that little debate i mean this is also the idea of like being a mentally ill artist or just like an artist where you kind of ignore the issues with the person in order to favor the art is like a very old story that's been debated. Like if you've ever read Lolita, the whole premise of the book Lolita is um, this guy who has like a, a penchant for younger girls and he considers himself very smart and he uses artists to defend himself like Edgar Allan Poe marrying his 13 year old uh, cousin or like Dante marrying like an 11 year old or something. And he uses that as an excuse. Like you can't touch me. You forgive these guys. But then the internal debate becomes that he's not a famous person and he hasn't contributed to society in order to be forgiven for his sins. And you see that because when the girl he's interested in Lolita breaks up with him, she breaks up with him for a very famous playwright with the same pension. 
and then people ignore it. People don't, don't care anymore. So this idea of like artists get away with mental illness or issues. So even like the weirder shit that Andre says is almost forgiven because he's successful in his craft. Like if the Nazi stuff, like, you okay, know, like, I don't know about the Nazi stuff, but <laughs> well, Ver, Werner von Braun was also forgiven for all that Nazi chat and crap. So I think, I, mean, I think Andre has not qu- achieved quite as much, but that is neither here nor there. <laughs> well, you tell me you didn't put people on the moon. Uh, well, he in, in metaphorically speaking, it seems like he qu- kind of did, but um, I mean, yeah, you know, a Japanese monk from Tibet to the Sahara. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, there is a lot of commentary on the craft, the art of acting. And I think, in a sense, all he deserves to be celebrated in a sense for all that stuff he's doing, at least within the acting community. Because I, I can kind of see, you know, acting being an art that is very close to like recreating life as it is. You're trying to recreate emotions as they are in a very believable way. Well, specific, very seriously in this movie as well, because this movie is essentially just life. It's not, it's not at all really a movie. Exactly. Like, exactly. And it's really just art imitating. Life. And, and so, I mean, in that sense, his whole thing being, it's all about living all these different classes he's given all these different crazy things he's doing. It is like, you know, you, I think that does contribute to the craft of acting, right? Like, uh, just trying to put yourself in weird situations, you know, and trying to fully embrace the moment in life and all that. That was the most interesting part to me to for the whole movie because um Andre what's his last name in the film? Gregory. Um, they play Andre they Gregory. play themselves. Yeah, they he is he is an exactly. actual so, a, pl- a director named Andre Gregory. Yeah, and Wallace uh Sean, is it? Wallace Sean. Um yeah, they're they're both playing themselves, so it was really interesting for me to kind of I wanted to extrapolate where art began and where life started which I think is a lot of also where their conversation is like rooted in. And this movie is just doing that. Like that leaves a lot open to ask the question, is this based off real stuff? Is this not based off real stuff? And that was more interesting yeah, to me. I read an interesting in interview with Walsh Sean about this. And uh, I mean, the main thing that stuck out to me about that was he said it was not him. He was not playing himself in the strict sense of the term. He was playing a, a very kind of, fear motivated version of himself which which makes me think like he'd totally be on board with the andre gregory stuff in real life you know what i mean it's he's trying to kind of play the moderate that the real wall sean doesn't feel great about but uh you know the guy who doesn't think you need to go all the way out to you know speak with trees in scotland in order to you know fully live and that's not you know the the height of happiness or whatever you know the skeptic and I'm totally on board with the skeptic, if I'm being honest, you know, I mean, particularly with regards to this, like, really pessimistic attitude and Andre Gregory has towards, uh, like, art. Like, it's all just, you know, make lulling us to sleep now. I mean, you guys be out. Of, you guys would be out of business if that was the case, you know. We're barely in business, but yeah. <laughs> You'd be in the wrong line of business if, you, if that was the case, you know, because I'd say you guys are trying to make some substantive stuff, you know. What is uh? What what did you make of that argument as as crafters of of film, which I cannot claim to be? Well, I think I kind of t- I kind of took that whole part of the conversation as a very meta comment, especially with the way that this movie is created. Andre's judging the whole way that art art is made now, and you know, film and plays and all that crap, um, and how playwrights that he knows 
who love what's current now five years ago they wouldn't have they wouldn't stand it or they couldn't stand it and it like makes me think that like a typical director or like screenwriter or whoever from like let's say the 1960s right if they were given this film they might think it they could think it's absolute garbage but you know as they go through the time as this film is, it was relatively praised, you know, it's, it's got positive reviews. People like it for the approach that it, and the unique approach that it has and the whole concept behind it. I wonder if like, that's the thing, like they're basically saying that you can make them, you can make a, a movie about two people having dinner and very like effortless. You don't really have to put too much thought into it. Cause it's just them as the two characters eating dinner, talking about whatever's on their mind and people will like it nowadays. You know what I mean? So just like, just taking it to a whole nother world and like commenting on their film and its placement and the current um, like film scene. Yeah. Well, their film is, the film is very meta. I kind of took that a little bit of a different way. Like th- the things that interested me the most in this was that concept of like, you know, people that would have hated a play like this nowadays uh, or like, like it nowadays, five years ago would have hated it. That concept that we're talking about. And then also the concept of when Andre says he goes to the local like open theater and everyone tells him that he looks great, except for one person that understands the trauma he's going through. I kind of like the way I started to read that was I often have questions about critics and people saying they like movies when they really don't. There's a lot of times when I feel specifically nowadays with so much like attention to like woke culture, like there's like movies that I think that like force that type of, um, force that type of like thing into their movie. And my question is like, how much do people really, really like this versus they just feel they need to say they like this or they're getting on board with things. And I'm much more interested in like, the, when people are much more honest about those types of movies, right? Like, like, like an example would be um, the critical difference between when Last Jedi or something came out and how critics all f- loved it, and then how like audiences scored it really low. And I have this skeptical mind when I see movies like this, where like I'm questioning whether critics and playwrights, like they mentioned, really do mean they like these things or just feel that they are ne- they necessarily need to say that they like them. You know, I was thinking about that a lot, about like this almost pressure. Oh, where you so have, like they, like, people- they conform to the movement rather than stand yeah, their they ground. Conform- yeah, exactly. I see that a lot in modern art too, where like some, one famous critic says something is amazing. And then a lot of critics end up coming around and saying that it's really amazing. And my question is like, do any of them really mean it? Like the skeptic in me mean thinks that they don't because like objectively this orange dot on a white canvas is shit. But like one critic says it's great. And then every fucking critic that's worth its salt says it's also great. And I have that a lot with movies too, that are like, was this really that good? Or we're just a bunch of people because it's like the right time for it to come out saying it's the best one. And I think they were talking a lot about that. Specifically, I kind of read that in that scene where he says like, everyone said that I looked great and I had a tan, but like, it's all superficial. I mean, one person actually could see behind that, what I, what I was really going through. And also this idea of, like we said, like the playwrights saying they like these types of plays now, five years ago would have not because it's in. So how, like how genuine is anything in art is what I think they were talking about. And on Andre's point, 
he mentions like he, him and his wife are really feeling like they need to get out of the city, but the whole world is going in the same trajectory. I can kind of get behind that a little bit with art sometimes. Like it feels like there's a mass, um, uh, pressure to succumb to one direction. And that uh, even as an artist, like what you're saying, Luis, this can be annoying because I don't really want to subscribe to that. Maybe I'm someone that doesn't think maybe, it's that maybe good you don't I, like I Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah. And Got I him. just can't buy, I can't buy that everybody d- like does, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm taking succumb to one direction as my band name. I'm patenting that. <laughs> We will not succumb to One Direction. Like, we will not be overtaken by our handsome British overlords. To to, to take it to what Dylan was saying, I, I you know I I kind of uh, I'm not sure I entirely agree with the interpretation there, in the sense that I think the uh, the critics not liking something they liking something they would have disliked five years ago. I think that was supposed to be a symptom of just a general decline in quality that Andre was pumping for and the connection to the whole uh, they saw my tan and said I looked great even though I was in internal agony. Um, I I thought that was supposed to be the underlying cause of this decline. It was like this numbness, this lack of seeing what's in front of you. And that has caused, you know, the purpose of art to just be further numbingness. In that sense, I was very encouraged by this movie about the state of current art since People keep saying that shit nowadays about everything. You know, everything's getting worse and it's just to numb us to, you know, existence and all that. If they were saying that 30 years ago, then I'm pretty, I feel 40 years ago now, Jesus. Uh, then no, I feel like we're okay. The world, they, they've been saying it forever. They've been saying the world is going to end since the 1500s or even before yeah, that. Yeah. And like every generation has their year that they <laughs> right. think the world is going to end. Yeah. yeah. So that's I mean, all that, the commentary is. Away. It's just how the previous generation adapts to the new one. Do they stand their ground and hate it, or do they just follow everyone's lead and start liking I mean, it? And this is a conversation between two people in their late 30s, early 40s. That seems like the time you start whinging about the state of the world. I think it's it's college, and then you get used to everything, and everything's fine, and then uh, then it's then, and from then on, you are. Well, I mean, that's also whinging. the time that that's that's also the time that you realize like you're not like. You're middle aged. You're not the youngest adults, specifically even more in the eighties, right? Where like, like Andre in that movie is 46 years old and he looks like he's in his sixties. Age has completely changed. And so, you know, back then, I think in the eighties and stuff, you were really kind of in the middle aged direction. Now, like late thirties and forties, it takes on a new meaning, but it's still, it's the first time I think you realize you're not really the youngest generation in adulthood anymore. Like there's like 20 year olds that were born when you were 20, you know, like, and you're competing with them. You're competing with them on just like the direction of societal norms and like what's considered good, uh, quote unquote, and like in pop culture, you see that even nowadays, like there's like, like I'm even starting to see like myself, we were literally just talking before this podcast started of things that like, I don't agree with the younger generation on what they're saying or me and Brian both don't agree and other things where I think the older generation is kind of crazy. I think we're in a mid ground right now, getting close to our thirties. Do you think the, do you think the, the, the younger generation is going in a bad direction? I mean, I'm too, I'm also too young to comment. Would you on say that, that they're no going in a, a single terrible direction? You say they're going in, are you saying they're, they're being dominated by 
One Direction. Dude, oh, the man. sad thing is that One Direction is our generation and not Gen Z's. That's no, that's completely, that's completely us. That's completely us. You know, I'm I'm starting to they think I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna is. start blending in with Gen Z. I think because we're I think I'm young enough to to claim that if I want to. And uh, Bro, you teach Gen Z. I, but, no you know, you just I, be your students. That's a you know what? You know what? I, I, I'm going to start coming to school with the flat rim and on a skateboard and being the cool teacher. It's going to happen because hey Gen I, Z I think, is characterized. I think you're trying to be the wrong generation. <laughs> call me, call me L dog. <laughs> call me L dog. No, so I do think uh, Sweet Lou. Gen Z is totally better characterized than millennials. Though I feel like millennials were just uh, you know whiny, entitled, uh, you know. Uh, you know, hypocritical shit. And uh, I don't know, Gen Z seems to be, I've, I read a lot of stuff, all this like picking themselves up by their bootstraps, self-motivated, you know, you know, uh, self-starting content creators. It's like, come on, man. Why? Are you just trying to be cool teacher right now? I am. I'm trying to say this. that I'm hip. I'm trying to say that I like Gen Z. That articles that are trying to capture the zeitgeist of a generation were not as kind to millennials as they seem to be to Gen Z's. That's what I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb here and say that millennials walked so Gen Z could run. I love, it. I love it. A lot of the uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that the boomer generation and even with Gen X right before us, you know, complain about like our mentality and, and behavior is, you know, the Gen Z people do. It's it's the same, but a little but different, a little more like headstrong, I'd say, and more proactive, maybe. Uh, you know, I guess depends on what outlet you look at, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, but completely. they're doing it, and no, there's no article saying like, "Is Gen Z going the wrong direction?" Or at least, you know, it's not a it's not a swirling conversation that everyone's talking about. And even like, um, they're they're looking more of like how to help gen z thrive type deal like my girlfriend who who works who works at like college and university she's got a whole book that's like gen z goes to college and like how to help how to work with those types with this generation on going through college films a little bit i will say that i see your point about dinner with andre being the initial podcast because there's a tendency even just talking about that movie to drift into the uh meaning of it in our current life like we're literally just having conversations that kind of no dinner um, stem from no food but um we're just pulling those conversations and putting them in a modern context which is kind of cool which is a really cool thing to see with that movie um, I, th- I think it's a very, it's, well. it, it's a little bit ahead of its time in the content. I think like what they discuss, I think not ahead of its time in the sense that we've said, this universal. is a constant, this is a constant worry for every generation, but it is a very universe. That is because it's a universal thing. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, I, I, I think you have to be an artist to really appreciate it though. Cause a lot of their conversation is driven towards what art, yeah, what's going on. I, th- I think art. you have to be a thoughtful person. I think you have to be someone who has thought about these things previously or is open to thinking about those things. I, I think, uh, if you're going in for it for mindless, uh, action, 
then you are you're not going to get that. If you're a Michael it, Bay fan, you might not enjoy. If you are Michael Bay, you might not enjoy. <laughs> Bro, people, t- people told me this was the prequel to Pirates of the Caribbean. I was very blown away. <laughs> we should make a Michael Bay every, edit every, and just throw in random explosions in the background throughout the conversation. <laughs> I want, I want, you know, the waiter. And have the, the waiter dolls do the theme yeah, the song. Waiter. We haven't even talked about the waiter. The waiter, the waiter is, is yeah. So character. one of the four credited actors in this is a very curmudgeon looking waiter who clearly is not happy that these guys stay till the very, till the very end of closing. Uh, you know, he's smoking his cigarette at the end. He's just like, ah, oh, fuck these guys. You know I mean? He had a very heavy accent. Very heavy accent. Very heavy accent. But so to the Michael Bay edit should definitely feature him fighting Transformers in the background. <laughs> yes. I love the line. It's like a potato soup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was, was the great. best line. Uh, it's movie. a potato soup. Very good. Comedy gold. <laughs> and he, but he's so polite because when he's like, I'll have the potato soup, he goes, thank you. Like he's like very happy that he's taken his recommendation. That's actually my favorite part of the movie. So that's but if a I'm big totally character. Honest, I watched. I watched a lot of the movie, also not watching it, but just listening. Oh, so you can totally do that. That's <laughs> why yeah, it's a podcast. It's not really, it's not really that interesting <laughs> to watch unless you want to see what this waiter looks like. Because as soon as I heard the voice, I had to put a face to the name, bro. Like holy hell! I found the uh, to to be to be honest. I mean. The act, look, while Sean, so while Sean does say inconceivable somewhere, which is great. Dude, that's the only other thing I was looking for was him saying inconceivable. So he did say inconceivable, which is great. He nailed it. But I wouldn't say he, they nailed the roles. You know what I mean? It's a hard role to pull off, but it, it did at, I mean, so I think Andre's cadence and emphasis got a little repetitive, you know? It was always, you know, really ecstatic and, you know, it, it didn't, you know, what it you know? reminded me a lot of, what? you know, what it reminded me a lot of like the style, um, just going off what you said about Wallace Shawn, like I agree that like his laughing and stuff was extremely like, it took me out of it because I didn't really believe it and it's okay. Cause his character has to be a little bit fake there, but I think the hardest type of acting to do is, um, the hardest type of acting to do is just co- like normal. You know, you can really kind of overact. It's kind of easy, like trying to be angry or happy or whatever, but trying to just be yourself. I, yeah, is very I, I think the movie is going for something so organic. It was going to be very hard not to it's feel overacted. But I think that's mm-hmm. perfectly on the money. I, I can't tell if it's a it's, if it's a directorial style, like to intentionally make someone like Andre uh, sound like he's full of shit because it, not to like even make a joke about it, but it's kind of difficult to tell if he believes these stories, even the way he's saying them, because his cadence is just constantly the same. So it's almost sounds like it's rehearsed rather than actually being true. But I, th- you know what it reminded me of when I want this pull is marriage story by Noah Baumbach, because there's a lot of scenes in that movie when Scarlett Johansson's talking where I don't believe what she's saying. And I can't tell if that's a style because I know Scarlett Johansson's a good enough actress for me to have seen her roles and believe what her character is. But there's one scene in there particular where she's talking to her divorce, divorce lawyer, where I was like, this comes off kind of fake, like almost intentionally memorized and acted. And it reminded me very much to how Andre was talking. So I'm, I'm curious to know if that was a, a choice, actually, not even that they didn't nail the roles, but a choice in order to make it sound more rehearsed than actually memory, uh, memory. Do you, so do you mean like, 
from, you know, going like for a marriage story, what Scarlett Johansson said, uh, or like what she says to the lawyer is not what she was each trying to say, like her, not what her character was like actually feeling about the situation, saying what she thinks is right. Like the what right thing say to say. It was, it was clearly acted. Like I uh, could tell, like the acting was extremely visible. Okay. And I can't tell if that's her character acting or Scarlett Johansson acting. And the same here, like Andre, his cadence and the way he talked about his stories, the acting was really clear. Now I can't tell if that was the actor or the character. Was it an intentional choice or was it, was it just that he's yeah, not That's kind of hard actor? to tell though, because like he is telling these extravagant stories and he's telling them as he would at a party, you know, like trying to impress people with these stories and getting a little animated about it. Or, you know, like you said, like having that same sort of cadence where it's like, he's making it sound a lot more like deep and like um, interesting than it might actually be. So, he, he like in a sense like andre the character has these rehearsed in his pocket for social commentary like you know to have conversations with people and they so make they them rehearsed. think that he's so interested sound yeah. Acted. yeah on the flip side of that i think of something like um manchester by the sea or basically anything with daniel day lewis and the acting is just so unbelievably good that you can see that they even believe they're the character you know, like you can really believe the drama and the lines they're saying. The reverse side of that is like this, like you're saying is like, these are rehearsed. Like you can tell they're rehearsed, they're acted. It's well acted, but the acting is extremely noticeable. And I had the same feeling in Noah Baumbach films, but that could just be, like I said, a directorial choice. I'm not even trying to discredit the actors. It could be the fact that that's how they want. Yeah, I mean, my, my best guess is when you're trying to do a film that naturalistic. So like what Manchester by the Sea has going for it is a high level of drama, right? You can, you can give these characters the bandwidth to like act very naturalistically, not my, my main thing is going to be that it shouldn't be uh, like entertainingly, right? It should be entertainingly to some degree. If you're trying to keep an audience and captured with two people just talking over dinner, Manchester by the sea, high degree of drama. You can afford to have them just act very mellowly, you know? Uh, but there's a lot of low points of drama there too. Like when, like you can, I believe the story behind Casey Affleck's eyes is what I mean. And I don't see a story behind Andre's eyes. The difference being is like, I'm not envisioning Andre in these situations. I'm just listening to him say them. I could barely follow him half the time. I don't see him in those, those situations. I, I got into the stories a bit, if I'm being honest. Just because it was, they were very interesting to me what he was describing. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, it would be a good book, wouldn't it? If, uh, it would be a pretty good book, I think. I mean, I mean more, I'm trying to like word it properly and then I will shut up for a bit. But I mean, like when you watch a play, you have to suspend your disbelief of what the stage is set as. So the acting is very, very palpable. Like you can see the acting and you have to really kind of imagine the scenario. When I hear Andre's stories, I have to imagine the scenario rather than watching a movie where I believe he's lived them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's fair. if you told me a memory, I don't have to imagine the memory. I just, I just know that this is something you truly remember. And if you're telling me like a bit, like I have to imagine what you like the bit, you know? Yeah, no, that's very true. Which, which is funny because at the end of the day, I think these are probably things that did happen to Andre Gregory. If I had to guess, at least some, some of these things, rather something like these things. 
He's still alive, so send him a letter. I should send him a letter. I should. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of the movie. I can. Uh, I think I, maybe he'd be fond of some He's young like lad. He's eighty-five, so you have you have a little bit more time, bro. Be fond of uh, young lads still engaging in his craft. Interested in that movie? You know, go. Okay, so we talked a lot about um, my dinner with Andre, but I wanted to bring up a point. I know the name Jim Jarmusch for a while now, actually, before these even these movies were recommended or before you showed me Patterson or Pat- Patterson. Patterson. Or Patterson. Patterson. Paddington Bear. Um, hey, don't <laughs> knock Paddington. Those movies are great. I want to see a Jim Jarmusch Paddington Bear film. It's just going to be Paddington walking around doing various daily chores. And there's just a naked woman in his hotel room waiting for him the whole yep. time. Yep, 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 yep. Oh oh my God. I totally forgot about that part. Oh my God. Um, Though like Paddington, the bear just chokes out Bill Murray at the end. That's what (laughs) I really want to see. Stick that in your marmalade, sir. Bri, there's a book that we've read called real truth by Reed Martin. And in that book, he talks about um, there's a whole chapter on plagiarism. So he talks about warning you to copyright your scripts before you send them out. And then he went into a massive uh, diatribe in the book about how he like got a script of his stolen after sending it to some people. That script was Broken Flowers by Jim Jarmusch, and he got into a massive lawsuit with him. Wow. That's how I know the name Jim Jarmusch. Wow. Wow. Tables. Yeah, and tables. maybe that subconsciously makes me not like Jim Jarmusch I as much. I can see it. I can see it. Damn, yeah, I can see it. Isn't that a top movie of he his, lo- too? He lost the lawsuit, too. Because it's extremely hard to prove where the inception of an idea comes from. But like like the script can be different. So that's you can't prove that you can copyright your script, but a story, an idea can come from anywhere. So if they just rewrite the story differently, then it doesn't matter. So he ended up losing. And that's like one of his most popular movies. Yeah. Wow. Poor Reed Martin. Poor Reed Martin. Jim Jarmusch is a better name, anyways. It, yeah. Reed Martin sounds Reed, Reed Martin sounds like a reject from like the noir films from the forties. Like, like a, you know, like a Steve Martin's lesser known, like long lost brother. He's not funny. Reed Martin was just like the thing he put in his clarinet and it just said Martin on it. Oh, that's reaching. That's reaching. <laughs> Bro, I could reach further. reach further. Reed Martin was part of. Steve Martin's tackle box and he used a reed to go fly fishing. And then one day that he, he lost his reed and a man picked it up on the, I think we can the stop banks. the reaching now. I think we can stop Reed Martin, the title of uh, Steve Martin's little known reading rainbow competition show. <laughs> Reach Martin. And then he just decided to change it to read. Okay. We're losing audience members by the, by the second. <laughs> No, we're just trying to make them use their imagination to see how this episode progresses. Just like Jimmy Jarmusch over here. I mean, we should we should really try to we should really try to just transition this into uh into a giant story by one of us where neither of the others talk and then uh we all go home. A la my dinner with Andre. I think that would work out really well. At the end of the day, I was actually kind of happy you chose these movies because I did think that these movies were it was a different month and we haven't had that many like, like I would say out there months. My idea with this podcast, Brian's idea with this podcast was to see shit that we just not seen before or like heard of. And there's only a few times that we've like done that. 
I, I would say we've been watching really great movies since the beginning, but this month was truly the furthest out there you could go. Like it was a, it was a curve ball and everybody else's months were pretty, like you could guess them, like what we were going to choose, you know? Oh man. There the we go. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you say that. That was definitely something I was going for. I fucking hated them. Well, my dinner at Andre was okay. I actually, we're going to be totally honest in the podcast that I passed out last night and I missed the last 10 minutes. Oh, well, you didn't Jeez. miss that much, honestly. You didn't miss that much. I didn't think I did. It was he ordered an amaretto, Nazis. which was the big standout no, part of the that. last 10 I minutes for me. I, I, I went to dinner last night with my, with my grandma and I, I was strongly felt like saying, can I have an amaretto, please? Um, I thought they might look at me strangely and then, uh, bring me a, I don't know what, what's, what even is an amaretto? I'm going to stop with this. So who, who is picking this month? It is me. Okay. Well, I'm excited now. This sets the tone. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would suggest maybe going a bit more towards the neutral ground after such a, we lost listeners or sorry, we lost podcast people this month because they couldn't get through these fucking movies, bro. <laughs> fucking. Oh, movies. you mean like in our, in our own circle? In our so own say, circle, how do you know we lost listeners like, that hasn't been aired yet? <laughs> Isn't podcasters no, like a word for podcast people? Podcast people makes me fig- picture like people with microphones for heads. <laughs> yeah, that's what we are. <laughs> for anyone listening, we literally just have microphones for heads. Uh, but yes, luckily I have a, um, a neutral zone, not an infraction, a neutral zone uh, topic. It's one Dylan and I talked about a few months back. And it'd be our man, John Hughes. Some movies of his. I'm super down for this. I'm really ready to feel really good with some John Hughes films. Although my, my suggestion was St. Elmo's Fire, which is not John Hughes. <laughs> Jules Schumacher. Um, all right. So I wanted to do ones that, because Dylan and I, we, we had a huge conversation about this one and which ones to watch. Because uh, I've seen a bunch that he hasn't seen and vice versa. Um, how, how many we f- we feel in four, three, one, zero, eight? I feel like I'm curious how we do <laughs> zero. So we just we just don't watch anything, and then we try to talk about John Hughes as a filmmaker. Without I think it's like we all him. just look at the at the at the the poster, the movie poster, and we try to extrapolate as many things as we can about the movie. That would be the funniest pie that dude, whoever's month is next. That's their fucking theme is like, you can't watch the movie. You can only look at the poster and then we have to talk about what we think it's about. Oh, that'd be hilarious. And then we'd like write the whole story on a podcast, like in one go, we would try to say the whole story. That's a good idea. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's what we're doing. Huh? What are um, these movies? All right. Let's... Right, I'd be down for four because I love John Hughes. All right. And 80 shit is my shit. All right, all right. Because I'm a boomer. So since you haven't seen it, and I haven't seen it in a long time, we'll do the original National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Probably aged well with Chevy Chase. Yeah. Uh, there, I know there's one scene in particular that I don't think ages well, but, you know, we'll find out. Um, some Kind of Wonderful is the one I've always wanted to watch, so we'll watch that one. Um, 16 Candles I haven't seen in a while. It's a classic. I'd like to revisit it. Uh, that one definitely has some very not okay scenes I know already. It has boobies in it for a PG movie. There's <laughs> boobies in a PG movie. It's the 80s, man. Uh, let's see. And let's uh, let's do one that dives in. You know, it's, it's, it's a different 
John Hughes movie, one that doesn't focus on any teenagers, focus on a, adulthood. She's having a baby with Kevin Bacon. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say saying almost fire. <laughs> Are you going to tell me, so is the, is the problematic part of this, does the, the, is like, uh, the baby come out in full blackface or. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happens. John Hughes was not a very, uh, I mean, conscious. I mean, weird science is not all you have to say to know that like he lived in his time. He didn't. didn't Oh, weird science, a John Hughes movie. Yeah. Okay. That That movie is is something. It is a, that's a, you, you need, you need to turn your brain off and not think about what's happening to fully well, don't enjoy they just it. make a, don't they just make a hot robot? She's not a robot. They like made her through a computer and she shows up out of the bathroom and she's basically like, she'll do anything for them. They don't do yeah, anything it's, with it's, her. They, they created a, they, they she's created a, a, in love with them. Yeah. Yeah. They, and there's they, some, uh, and then they, there's like, they there's like a, a problematic situation. Yeah. Then there's a point where like the bullies who have the hot girlfriends offer a trade. Like we give you our girlfriends and you give us the robot lady and a lot of, a lot of weird stuff going on in that movie. But yeah, 16 candles, vacation, some kind of wonderful. She's having a baby. That's that. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm excited for these eighties films. All right, dudes. Well, Luis, thanks for these obscure, crazy movies. Yeah, I thanks tried. for broadening my horizons in a very weird, unpleasant, but also mildly pleasant way. I, that, that, that's where I'm going with the next one, guys. I just be ready. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'm looking forward to watching some sappy 80s movies with problematic overtones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't be the 80s if there's no problematic overtones in it. This I is right? true. This is true. All right, dudes. Till next, next time. time then. Till oh. next time. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs>